good people. It's your girl, Frederica McClary Easley, back with another episode of Bum, 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 Bum. The people are blunt. All right, y'all, housekeeper. So you already know this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. We are on all the platforms. We got YouTube, Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon Prime. Please check us out, like, subscribe, share, do all the things to let us know you're out there. If you take your time, I will take my time and this will all be a good time. Let me know if you are, if there are people who you want to see, if there are topics that you want to, um, want to dig into or want us to dig into, um, I greatly appreciate it. Also, people's ecosystem. Go holler at our website. We have amazing merch up as well as um, our CBD wellness line. Okay. So we have balms and patches, transdermal patches um, that help with those aches and pains. We know the weather is changing, it's getting cool in a lot of places. And so you definitely want to take care of yourself. And last but not least, if you are in New Mexico or if you're in Cali, you can check out our edibles, Tosi Treats. They are fast acting, acting gummies. Um, so they are a part of day three unlock it technology, which attaches all of the good stuff to a protein. Our bodies know what to do with proteins. Um, so it is amazing. It hits or uh, on take is just like a traditional smoke. So like 10, 15 minutes, as opposed to waiting an hour or so for a gummy to actually hit. We all have had those moments where we take in a gummy and we forgot we took the gummy and we went on about our business and maybe we took another gummy and then everything hits at once. And it's like, okay, maybe I'm not productive today. We'll see. Uh, so go on over. Uh, if you are in, like I said, Albuquerque, New Mexico, you can holler at my boo Melanie over at Mary James Cafe. If you are in Cali, you can find us in Santa Rosa, LA, Sacramento, Oakland, San Fran, and Guerneville. And Without further ado, I have Shawnee Williams with me today. What's up, girl? You on mute. I'm off mute now. Hey, hey, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for uh, thank you for being here. Thank you. So, um, so Shawnee, I have seen you on LinkedIn, but recently I was at Benzinga and you rolled up and you was like, girl, hey. I did. I'm definitely known for that. I'm known for that. Um, everybody here in Illinois calls me the follow-up queen. So I um, definitely wrote up on Frederica because I feel like I should know all the Black people in cannabis. Yes. There should be no reason I don't know you if you like and in cannabis. So yeah. Correct. Correct. Um, and I appreciated it um, because I feel the same I way. I know you was like, girl, who the, f who, hold on. I ain't even checked in yet. Who the hell are you? <laughs> Girl. No, and you know, and you know, I did not. I was like, hey, <laughs> how are you? What's going on? Um, because honestly, you know, like I feel like that's one, that's like black people, right? Like we see each other and it's like, hey, what's up? Yep. Especially when we're in spaces where we could be few and far between, like we at least doing the not, like, yo. Yeah, I see you. I see you. Yeah, I see you over there. You know what I mean? Um, it's, it's, it's safety, it's security, you know, it's, it's belonging, right? It's like you here, I'm here, we here, I got you. Um, so all of those things I felt, and now we are here, uh, about to talk blunt. So let's get into it. Sounds okay. Good. So, uh, first question is your personal relationship with cannabis. How did you and cannabis like, when did y'all gel? When did y'all get together? 
<laughs> so I wasn't, it was, it wasn't until I was in my twenties. Um, I grew up in a household, um, where there was a lot of drug addiction and it wasn't cannabis cause that, that's not a thing, but it, it definitely, I think, um, tainted my view of drugs, which I lumped cannabis into, um, just as a kid growing up. And so I never tried cannabis, even though I was around it all of my childhood, um, until I was in my twenties, I was in grad school, I was in Florida. And, um, at 15, I had gotten sick and they, the doctors had no idea what was wrong with me. I, um, had a fever for three weeks and they couldn't figure it out. They knew it was autoimmune related, but they didn't know exactly like what it was. And so it took about 10 years for me to be diagnosed. And around that time, 10 years later, yeah, I was trying to figure out how to manage pain. And that is, that was my introduction to cannabis. So I started using cannabis for pain management. Um, and I still do to this day. So that's kind of how it happened. I've always been a dork, a lame, a nerd, and then started using cannabis because I have lupus and Sjogren's and hypothyroidism. So, Wow. First of all, shout out to the times when being like a nerd was actually like celebrated to a certain degree. It was like, I remember being in school and it's like, if you didn't know something was like, you don't know that? Like, what's wrong with you? You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? So shout out to coming up around that time. Yeah. Um, so when you when you finally were like, yo, I got to manage this pain, I'm sure that they were putting you or prescribing all of these things. Um, was it a friend? Was it through your own research? Like you nerding out and, and being like, what are some like natural things that I can try as opposed to being like doped up on all of these prescriptions? Like, how did that happen? Yeah. So it had to do, I couldn't keep up with my schoolwork and my work schedule while I was in grad school because of the payments that I was on. So when I was 15, they actually started me on, um, uh, hydrocodone. So a narcotic, obviously as a 15 year old, I don't, I didn't, I don't think I realized it until I got to college that I was on a narcotic and, um, I couldn't, like I said, I couldn't keep up with my schedule, my school schedule and just everything, my workload once I got to college and because I was always sleeping. I was always tired. Yeah. Yes. So I actually quit um, hydrocodone in college cold turkey. Um, and looking back on a lot of people, when I tell people that they're like, damn, how the fuck, how did you do that? Because, and I, and I, I not, not until recently with the opioid epidemic that I, that I realized that like, that's unheard. Like a lot of people have a hard time doing that, but I, I think I was blessed in that regard, not understanding that it was addictive, that it was a narcotic and that I, I just was tired of being sleepy and tired all the time. Yeah. So it was more so I need something that could, I could actually be that I could use and consume that wouldn't affect my energy level and allow me to still go to work and still do, you know, like my classwork and stuff like that and be alert in class and it was a friend, um, a friend that was in my in my master's program that was like, you, maybe you should try. And so we literally planned it out. And I was like, okay, this is the night that, we're, that you're going to try cannabis. You're going to be home. You're going to be in a safe space. You're going to be with friends. And that's what happened. And I felt, I felt great. Um, like after like everything, it almost, it's not, I don't want to say it's numbing, but it just kind of, for whatever reason, you kind of stop feeling the pain while you're, after you've consumed 
um, and while you're kind of under the influence and it helps with, you know, going to sleep and things like that. But for me, I have like really bad muscle pain and really bad nerve pain. So it just kind of, it, it numbs the pain. Yeah. No, like my, my mom has nerve damage. And so the way she describes it is just like, it really is like this ache, this like constant. It just, doesn't stop. Yep. It doesn't stop. It's almost like if you, you think of like a humming or a vibration, it's just like this yep. thing is just mm -hmm. there and your body is constantly releasing cortisol because, you know, it's triggering. You get used to it, but it doesn't mean mm -hmm. that you feel good, right? It's not like, it, it, it's really not that you feel good. It's just that like there are varying levels right. of how it aggravates you or how intense it can be. Yeah, your thresholds um, change. So, yeah. and your pain tolerance changes as well. So yeah. like I have, I've told people there have been times where I've had a migraine for seven weeks and people are like, how? And I'm like, you literally, your body is just like, well, I guess this is life now. Right. Yeah. Um, because you, life goes on, like you cannot stop because you, you have a headache. So that, that's the best way I can explain it. Like the pain is consistent. It's constant. Um, and like, even to touch, like my body is hot to touch when I'm, when I'm in pain. And so like people that are around me, like friends, family and stuff like that, roommates, when I was in college, they're like, why is your body so hot? I'm like, because inflammation. Yeah. Cause it's fighting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. It's a lot going on. It's on fire. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. Damn. Okay. So first of all, shout out to the friend, right? At this point, it's like, well, I didn't been on all this other stuff and I know how that makes me feel. Exactly. So at least let me try this plant here. Okay. So now the plant is in your life. You're in mm -hmm. grad school. Um, what are you in grad school for? So my master's is a master's of science in entertainment business. Um, okay. And so when so I like left, event planning and things, right? So I actually, I was in event, I did event production all through undergrad. And then after grad school, I actually went into film production. So okay. same, same concept, same type of operations, same type of detail oriented skill set, um, but moved to LA and uh, actually worked for like a small film production company in Glendale. Um, okay. so yeah. So I know you have lived a no in a number of states. I think what I, when I was doing my research, it said like eight, right? So mm -hmm. I know you're from, you're from Illinois, you're from Chicago, mm -hmm. right? Okay. So now we have Cali, yep. we have Florida. Yep. Okay. Um, I think Missouri was one. Yep. I went to okay. undergrad in Missouri and Nebraska. Okay. And Nebraska. Mm -hmm. Okay. So Let's walk me through this, okay? Because I want to get to when you started Illinois Equity Staffing, right? Um, so you go from being in production, various levels of production, mm -hmm. and then when do you make the transition into cannabis in terms of in terms of professionally, and what was the motivation? So when I was living in LA, um, someone that I was seeing at the time owned a dispensary. Um, and that was, that was at the time it was only medical. Um, and so I had a medical card. I, from that perspective, was able to kind of see how he ran his dispensary and, and some of the things that they were, some of the challenges that they were facing as dispensary owners. Um, and even and understanding- hands-on experience too, right? Like I think I saw- 
So no, it was just actually dating someone who owned a dispensary and like okay. being able to see like the qualification process and seeing, like I said, some of the challenges he faced. Never, never had like an actual professional role when I was living in LA in cannabis. Okay. Um, but was in corporate America most of my 20s. And I was just kind of over it. I think it was a combination of being black, being a female, and then having like this autoimmune situation going on. It's not really fun being in a marginalized uh, population, like in corporate America. Everybody knows this at this point. It's like a thing. So um, I was on Cellcept at the time. And Cellcept is a, it's like a chemical chemotherapy. That's kind of how they describe it. It's an immunosuppressant. Um, and that was for managing the lupus because it was, I was told moving out to, to the West would kind of help with my symptoms. It actually exacerbated it. Wow. And they, you know, the assumption that some of my rheumatologists said was that it was because it's so dry and that I was used to being in climates that it's were, humid. yeah, more humid um, from down, you know, like my family's from the South. I've lived in Southern States. And so and then from the Midwest. And so it exacerbated it. So that entered Cellcept. And I um, um, was really struggling, honestly. Lived out there by myself. All of my family is out here in the Midwest. And so I decided to transfer. I was um, in management and I transferred at, at Enterprise. Um, I was an assistant branch manager and I transferred from Group 32 to um, the Chicago group. Okay. And they transferred me to basically the largest branch here in Illinois. And um, I eventually got off Cellcept um, because it I was it's an immunosuppressant. So it basically any type of threat to your immune system, it, it literally you have no defense whatsoever. So I kept getting sick. I was around people all the time. And I was acclimating back to the winter here in Chicago. And it just was rough. Like I got in a spider bite at one point. Spider bite almost killed me. Um, I had to, I I react really terribly to bug bites, like mosquito bites and, and spider bites. And I was like, I'm fine. But my hand kept getting bigger and bigger to the point where I couldn't close it. And I finally was like, I should probably go to the doctor because there was a pain shooting up my arm and it was lunchtime. So... Yeah. Got to the hospital and the doctor had me take off my suit jacket. And he's like, yeah, you see that red line going up your arm? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, that's venom. That's that's venom. You Had you gone home, would have died because the venom would have went to your heart. And I'm like, what? He's like, what drugs are you on? So like the cell sept stopped that. So when I moved back home, it was 2016 and continued to work um, at Enterprise and eventually quit and then went to staffing at a deco staffing downtown um had a full desk was doing both the marketing finding clients and the actual recruiting of the candidates and then um left a deco and went to operations at uh, cisco systems meraki which is a tech company mm -hmm. that i took that job love that job still love that team like i literally took that job because i didn't want to use any brain cells yeah. i just wanted to coast Okay, yeah. I wanted to have headphones on, do my job and operations, don't go to no meetings, don't have no responsibilities, just do my work, nobody bother me. And we passed the bill here in Illinois, I think in May or June of 2019. And then obviously recreational sales started January 1st. And in June, July, people that knew my background and like 
just knew things about me. Like I, I have, I had at that time I had like a small hair, natural hair um, product company. And so people were like, you're already an entrepreneur. Like you should look into this. This bill sounds like it's meant for somebody like you. Now, right. the reason why people said that is because I um, have always been really, really passionate about equity. I never called it equity, but basically yeah. people being treated equally yeah. as we should all have the same um, level playing field. That's how I've always been. So like in high school, I went to all white high school and uh, I was in Marshall. <laughs> I was in Marshall and I was the head drum major. When I was in the trumpet section my sophomore year, they we made we had t-shirts made and my t-shirt said Rosa Parks. So, yeah, so you've been about this life, right? So you've been, yeah. been about good trouble. Try me if you want to, because I'm gonna show you better than I can tell you. Okay. So yeah. that's where I come from. And so people that know they were like, this bill, like you need to read it. And as soon as I got it in my hands, like that bill, I, people laugh at me because I think it's a page turner. I always tell me it's a page turner. It's a page turner. Like that is the most boring bill. What are you talking about? It's a bill. And I'm like, it's a look, read it. It's so possibilities. It is if you know what you're looking at. And so yeah. I um that's how I started Illinois Equity Staffing is is and I was still working full time. And the um I think the goal was to make a certain amount before I went full time. And so by January of 2020, I I went full time right before shit hit the fan. So yeah. Not this pandemic. So for those who are wondering what Illinois Equity Staffing is all about, the services that you provide. Can you please drop that elevator pitch for us? Yeah, so IES um, is a human resources company. We're WBE and BE certified. And our goal and our mission is to promote equity in the space, in the cannabis space, through human resources um, activity. So human resources consulting, talent acquisition, employee development, and things like that. And then we've also kind of, um, really taken advocacy, the advocacy approach and, in, in a creative way to kind of funnel folks who have been most impacted by the war on drugs into the cannabis space. Yeah. And you know what? Um, when I read that, I was like, this is so important, um, especially also having a corporate organization background, because we know in terms of hiring, if you are not intentionally posting in certain places, thinking outside the box, um, using, you know, uh, a more varied rubric, if you will, you're not going to get that diversity. You know, uh, nine times out of 10, when people are hiring, they are, whether it's conscious or unconsciously, they are gravitating to people who look like them, remind them of their selves mm -hmm. or someone who they're comfortable or familiar with. Mm -hmm. And so you're not going to build that table. You're mm -hmm. not going to build that table or that staff with varied, um, varied uh, perspectives, you know what I mean? From varied walks of life, if you're not intentional about this approach. And so that's why what you do is so important because it's like, you have that lens of like, these are the other avenues that can be tapped into to really get talent in, especially those who may come from legacy or those who come from those areas that have been ravaged by the war on drugs. Yep. Yeah. So that's dope. Thank you. Like that is dope. Yeah. Yeah, Thank absolutely. You.
absolutely. Um, and then like true fashion, uh, you are doing all the things, right? Because I mean, essentially it appears or it reads like a one-stop shop. Like we're going to help you figure all of this out, right? Like we're going we gonna to write the post. We're going to find the person. We're going to interview the person. Uh, so you're really offering like wraparound services. Trying to. So we, you know, I would say the, the services are really for the HR administration and the consulting are really for those smaller licensees that they don't know anything about human resources. They want to do things right. And they just don't really know where to start. I wouldn't say it's for MSOs, obviously, because MSOs have their own in-house HR. So it's really for, it's providing what I would say, pr the promoting of equity from the licensing perspective and then plugging it in from the candidate perspective and like making sure that they're exposed to folks who probably wouldn't have otherwise gotten an opportunity to even interview for a position. And I've, I've found myself in conversations with like some clients that are like, I don't know about this person. I'm like, I'm telling you, I do because I've spent the last, you know, three months with them, developing them, uh, mentoring them. And then they turn out to be literally the most um, rising yeah, yep. team member that is the most dependable and most hardworking. And it's like, see, I told you. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to get into that mentoring, right? Because I was in your business and I saw that you, <laughs> so I'm in your business and I saw that you are um, a part of an organization, an organization called Take Back My Legacy. Yes. So it's that the that is the website URL. It's really the Legacy Fellowship Program. That's what it's called. Okay. okay. Um, but we, so I guess after the pandemic, and after obviously the lawsuits here in Illinois, we yeah. were trying to figure out what ways could we, um, I guess, bring an in income that would at least kind of float us until licenses yeah. opened yeah. or licenses were operational. And so that is kind of how the, the government funding space came into play. Um, and so we started applying for for grants in 2020, but didn't actually get one. Like we were denied, 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 denied. And didn't get one until 2022, which was last year. And so um, the Legacy Fellowship Program ended up being the one that was awarded by the state. And it's a collaborative program where we're the implementing agency. So we're the, the pass-through agency. And then there's six organizations under the implementing agency that along with the implementing agency deliver these services. So the program is designed, um, it's it's an R3 program. So I, R3 is, is funded through the Illinois Criminal Justice Information Authority, which is basically like a data collecting department within the state of Illinois that kind of tracks all the criminal justice data um, across the state. And so the R3 program actually is funded through the cannabis tax revenue that we make as a state in Illinois. Yeah. Um, so our grant program is a $1.4 million grant program per year, and it's just been extended two years. So we, oh, we congratulations. Thank you. So when we finish in June of 2025, it will have been three years. And so the point of it is to, to focus on Chicagoans who have been um, justice impacted that um, are somehow connected to the South side. So the zone that we applied for was the South side of Chicago. So you had to live, work, or maybe even come in contact with the justice system by way of the South side of Chicago. Which is and, not 
Exactly. Exactly. So, um, and the state has been like really lenient about that, you know, because the West side and the South side are right next to each other. So it's like, you know, if it's someone from the West side and we can't connect them to the South side and they're perfect for this program, why not, you know, support where we got to support. So the state's been really good about that, but we, it's a 12 week program. And the, the, the thought process was that there's a lot of grant programs and nonprofit entities that kind of, um, I feel like spoon feed our most vulnerable populations instead of trying to help them become self-sufficient. Yes. And so the idea of the grant program was to try and figure out ways to, to make our grant participants self-sufficient when they, when they finish our program. So it's 12 weeks of, um, community-based like workshop programming. They're with us for like 15 to 18 hours a week for the 12 weeks. And it's a paid fellowship. So because it's 15 to 18 hours a week, we're paying them $1,800 a month to come to the workshops and to do, you know, the work that um, comes along with participating in the program. Um, And there's several different tracks. So we have professional development where we're taking them through resume writing, cover letter, LinkedIn, ending with mock interviews. We have entrepreneurship from the perspective of ancillary businesses. So a lot of people have like no idea that this is an actual phenomenon, but it's really hard for people who are just as impacted to get badged in the cannabis industry across the United States, not just here in Mm -hmm. Illinois. And so one of the things that we um, wanted to do with this program is help that population understand that this industry is has a lot of opportunity outside of plant touching opportunities. Yes, yes. And quite frankly, like if I'm being honest, I really don't care how people comment on this video. It's a setup. Like these licenses are set up. Okay, for for certain populations. And so I really feel like instead of focusing on the dangling carrot, which are the licenses, we should be focusing on ancillary businesses um, as a community, especially if you're just as impacted, because that's the best way to get in without having to worry about all the legality and the regulatory um, requirements uh, in the cannabis space. And so we kind of take them through what does it look like from ideation to market research, to competitive analysis of creating a cannabis-related business idea and then going through a pitch competition in front of real cannabis entrepreneurs here in Illinois for, you know, top cash grand prizes. Um, but the the other tracks are like uh, environmental sustainability. So helping them understand how we got here, how the world got to the point where it's on fire yeah. um, and ha- where cannabis kind of connects in with that. Um, So helping them understand, like, in the early 1900s, (laughs) we really had the opportunity as a country to lead the way in environmental sustainability with hemp. Exactly. And so um, just helping them open their eyes and be like, oh, my God, like, we're what what are we doing? Um, And then they actually get a a pre-apprenticeship certificate through the U.S. Department of Labor once they finish the environmental sustainability component. Um, they get their records cleared by the Cannabis Equity Illinois Coalition um, staff attorneys throughout the program. Um, and then we have a component where they go through 10 weeks of mental health, um, I guess you would say group therapy, mm-hmm. and they get one-on-one group or one-on-one um, uh, counseling sessions. And then they meet with two nurses for eight weeks and they go through self healthcare, self advocacy. So that goes back to my story, why it took me 10 years to get diagnosed yep. because our population, black folks, 
um, are treated a certain way in the healthcare industry in that space. And so what does it look like to advocate for yourself? Well, based on my 10 years experience and obviously the experience from the nurses that are leading that, that track, this is how you need to advocate for yourself when you get in front of these doctors, these nurses, and these physicians. Um, and then we take them to some of my clients' facilities. So they actually get to meet licensees that look like them. They get to ask them questions, look at their facility, figure out what challenges they face. Um, and it really, it shows them, okay, these licenses are a little bit too much for real, for real. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we take them downtown to Macy's on State Street. They meet with the stylist on State Street and they get $300 worth of professional attire, which is what they end up wearing to the mock interviews and the pitch competition. Um, they do financial literacy training. So all of this happens over 12 weeks. And I like, I'm the person that they see the most. So I, quite frankly, I get on their nerves by the end. Like this cohort <laughs> four is in week 10 and they're, they're over it. They're like, I'll be tired of seeing your face. Like for real. Um, and so the whole point is that when they, when they end the program, they have kind of the tools that they need to address the mental health barriers, um, the economic barriers, the uh, healthcare barriers that we have as a community um, and, and do better with where they started from, from when day one in the program. Um, so yeah, so that's- I, say I absolutely fucking love it. Thank you. I think that I think that this is something that should be scaled. You know what I mean? Oftentimes we uh, when we're thinking about equity and how equity is done, it, you know, in cannabis and like each state is different. Right. Because there, you know, nothing is centralized in terms of regulation. But this, what you're describing um, is absolutely needed, because I, I, I think when I when I look into most programs, right it's one aspect, right? Like they may, you know what I'm saying? Like they may handle the entrepreneurial piece, right? Um, definitely over here at the People Are Blunt, People's Ecosystem, like we believe in those ancillary businesses. We'll tell, we tell anyone we meet, it's like, yo, it, whatever you were doing outside of cannabis, you could bring that into association with cannabis, right? And not have to worry about 280E and not have to worry about the, this crazy licensing because most people who get their license don't, aren't even able to stand up that business or they're not even make, able to make it to that third year of, of, of being able to level out. Like we know the first three years are volatile of any business, whether you are in this cannabis space or not. Right. Um, but what you're describing and I literally, cause my sister is a healthcare. Um, well, she spent, she spent like, oh God, like 15 years drug and alcohol abuse counseling and um, in school guidance counseling and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so I talked to her about this. I talked to her about the need in cannabis to address these mental health pieces, right? The mental health of maybe I serve time and now people are making money for this and it's mm -hmm. hard for me to get into it. Or the fact that uh, there is this stigma around adult use, right? But I can't get my medical card or whatever have you, especially earlier on, it was so difficult to navigate that space because we're no, we know that we operate within systemic, uh, well, systems and institutions mm -hmm. that are biased and, and, and racist, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so there are a lot of just mind fucks that have to be dealt with. Um, whether you are engaging with this plant or with the industry or, or not. not 
So I love the fact that that is being touched on, right? That y'all are giving them this peek into like the real of if you want to do this, it's not for the week. And also here are some other possibilities and we're going to try and set you up for success. We're going to have you going there looking like money and looking like, you know, you mean business and that you're supposed to be there. Yep. That is like, I love it. That is, that is beautiful. Um, plug it again. What's it called? Takebackmylegacy.com is the URL, but it's the Legacy Fellowship Program. Let me just go ahead uh, and put this in here. Y'all need to, yo, if y'all in Chicago, <laughs> y'all need to look this up. This is dope. Like this is, no, takebackmylegacy.com, y'all. That is, this is an amazing program. This is so dope. Um, and if you are able to support it in any way, um, if you are a part of the, you know, a part of this industry um, and or, you know, feel like you have something that could possibly be added, please reach out. Uh, let me plug how they get in touch with you. So you see her LinkedIn, you see her, her Instagram, please reach out because these are the kind of things that we definitely need to support. Yeah. And we've made it iterative. So like we always do exit interviews after every cohort. And so like one of the things that came up immediately was tech literacy. They were like, we, somebody needs help with tech literacy. So the coalition got the grant from the, from Google and, um, they are now doing the tech literacy portion. So they're not just doing the record clearing and the community advocacy and the, and the know your rights, but now they're doing, they're coming in and they're showing them how to use the, the loaner laptops that we give them during the program. So that it's going to stay iterative until we end. So one of the things that I've seen in the last three months is AI is taking like literally off. And so there is Big Bot, which is owned by Martez Knox, and he's from the South suburbs as well. I think he's from Dalton. Okay. And um, him and I were in Black Tech together through 1871 Incubator. And he's like, what can I do? And I'm like, the this population needs to understand AI, like yep. ASAP. So like from now on, he's going to come in as a subject matter expert. Just one workshop to talk to them and help them understand what's coming and how to get a hold of it as soon as possible. But like any, I know a lot of people are like, well, I don't, I don't know what how I can help. Trust me, like it's a holistic program and as, and as much knowledge as we can give these um participants the better and also don't worry about it. like we can figure that out we can brainstorm right and figure out how you can help and where you could possibly fit in don't worry about figuring that out on your own if you have the heart to help then please reach out right um so shiny wait our time is our time is coming up we're gonna have to have a part two um because i ain't even really dig into all your business like that but before we get out of here, um, what do you want to leave the people with? Ooh, um, I would say in the last year, we haven't even scratched the surface. So the need is still very much um, so apparent. And there's a lot of things that I think just from our year experience that need to be addressed, um, especially from the mental health perspective. So there's more that could be done. There's more visions I know that are out there other than just mine. And I think um, whoever has the heart for this type of work, please, <laughs> please join us in whatever way you can. Get your own grant program. I don't care. Please help. Yeah, yeah. I would say we are stronger together. For real. 
You know what I'm saying? Um, and as opposed to reinventing the wheel, let's figure out like how we can create those ecosystems and create those alignments um, to where we are lifting each other up and we are helping each other. Um, to that point, if you are an owner and you are having staffing issues, holla at Shawnee, okay? Sure. Um, if you are a, um, a business owner or a person who is interested in helping and wants to help and you don't even know how you can help, holla at Shawnee. Please. <laughs> and with all of that being said, y'all already know what it is. Until next time, stay blunt, y'all.